There are certain topics that become major topics in certain seasons of life. And it is not because everyone is talking about the exact same thing at the same time, but enough people are discussing the same topic that it begins to stand out to the forefront. And that is the case for our topic this evening. Uh, tonight, we are doing a one-night crash course on angels and demons. And as you might imagine, with a topic like this, specifically angels and demons, there are people who might think, well, that's good information, um, it's nice Bible trivia, but maybe it's not completely necessary for somebody who is wanting to walk close and clean before God. And I would kindly and graciously disagree with that. And there's at least three reasons why I would disagree, and these are in your notes. Uh, we need a biblical understanding of angels and demons to understand the storyline of Scripture. Uh, angels and demons are mentioned 196 times in 34 books of the Bible. Uh, that's not just a minor topic, that's a major topic. In fact, it is such a big topic that it is one of the 10 topics or classifications of systematic theology, is the study of angels or angelology. Uh, angels and demons, they play a major part in the fall of humanity, in the protection of the saved, communication between God and humanity, ongoing struggles we face, end time events, and so much more. It is impossible to fully understand the storyline of Scripture if we don't have some grasp, some foundational knowledge of angels and demons. Um, a second reason we need a biblical knowledge of angels and demons is to recognize the real battle. Scripture's clear. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is not against that person that you are upset at with work. It's not that neighbor who keeps getting on your nerves. It is, it is not that family member that causes a ruckus at every family reunion. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. According to Scripture, it is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Based upon Scripture, there is a spiritual reality that is just as real, if not more so, than the physical reality that you and I see around us. In this spiritual reality, there is a war that is being waged for the souls of humanity, for human potential, and for the future of humanity. And this is a battle that is being fought through spiritual influences, those influences being God and angels and Satan and demons. We need a biblical knowledge of what's going on. We also need a biblical knowledge of angels and demons to avoid deception. The only way to avoid deception is to know truth. And there is a lot of false, potentially harmful information that is related to angels and demons. There are tens of millions of people around the world who worship angels, who use mediums in order to communicate within the angelic realm, and even attempt to replace God with angels. In Joan Anderson's book, Where Angels Walk, she said, and I quote, angels offer a form of spirituality devoid of Jesus and God. The search is on for spirituality, but not spirituality with God, end of quote. 
Time Magazine picked up on the angel's craze of the 1990s. If you were alive in the 1990s, you probably remember. It was, everything was being touched by an angel. Everything was revolving around angels. There was a little cherubim and seraphim and all sorts of angels popping up everywhere. Time Magazine gave this quote, for those who choke too easily on God and his rules, angels are a handy compromise. All fluff and meringue, kind and non-judgmental, they're available to everyone, like aspirin, end of quote. Now, I don't know where they got their intel on angels, but they did get it from the Bible. The description of all fluff and meringue is not the description you find of angels in the Word of God. We live in a culture where people want spirituality, but they want it without God. Sometimes they want it without truth. If you do not know what scripture says on this topic, if you do not know how angels and demons fit within the, the storyline of scripture, if you do not know how they impact your life today, you're in a position that you can be easily deceived. There is no way that I could cover everything the Bible says about angels and demons inside of one sermon. But there is a way, Lord willing, that we're going to give enough of a foundation tonight that would give people what they need to grow in their study and in their understanding for the rest of their life. So we got a lot to cover this evening, and we're going to cover that from three perspectives. Tonight's topics are almost going to sound like categories in the game show Jeopardy. So if you happen to be scanning through your notes, you will find that there's the first category is according to Scripture. Then it's going to be, it's a common misunderstanding. And then what should I know or what should I do with this information? Those are the categories we are covering tonight, but we're going to begin with prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask tonight that you would guide us into truth. Lord, may our minds, may our hearts, may our focus uh, be so clear through the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to begin with a definition. If we're going to talk about angels and demons, let's start with a definition of angels. Angels are spirit beings created by God. Simple definition. There are three main categories of angels that are mentioned in Scripture, seraphim, cherubim, and archangels. Based upon multiple texts like Isaiah 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, in Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 through 4, it appears that at least a third of the angels rebelled against God alongside of Lucifer, alongside of Satan, and they are now called demons. So here's the, the clear differentiation. Same in essence, dramatically different in character, motives, function, loyalty, and eternal future. As you read scripture, you will find that the Bible refers to these beings, ones created, spirit beings created by God, refers to them as angels, in other places, demons, depending upon whether or not they fell away as a part of the third, also refers to them as rulers, powers, principalities, hosts, holy ones, sons of God, spirits, and a number of other classifications, all referring to the same type of being, although they can be extremely different within their purpose. 
So now we're gonna start with our first category, according to scripture. Now, as we go through this, I want you to notice that you have a lot, and I do mean a lot of biblical references, which makes sense. If we're going to have a category according to scripture, you probably need some scriptural references to go along with that. But what I wanted to draw attention to is I might not call out the reference for every one of these, but they're all sitting right there in your notes as we go through. So according to scripture, a vast number of angels were created by God and given some form of free will, some form of free will. Now, we do not have a passage that just clearly comes out and says there were a million angels that were created or there were 10 million angels or 100 million angels that were created. Instead, the Bible gives generalizations to help us understand there was a lot of angels that were created. For example, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, it speaks of an innumerable company of angels. Innumerable seems at least to seem like there's a lot. So many, you can't count them. Uh, Revelation chapter five, verse 11, it says, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. We find similar language in Job 38, Nehemiah 9, Psalm 148 and some other passages as well. Now we know that these beings have been created with some form of free will. We understand that based upon what is described through the fall of those who went along with Lucifer. However, it's also clear according to scripture that they are still under God's control. According to scripture, these spirit beings are more powerful than humans in this present age. The passages are there for you to look at. They have greater wisdom than humans, passage there can change their appearance and also are not subject to death as we would know it. Now, I'm going to only bring out a little bit on two of those categories. The others are right there for you to go back and to read at your own leisure. But in reference to the power of angels, we see general statements found in Scripture describing mighty angels or angels greater in might and in power, 1 Thessalonians 1 as well as 2 Peter chapter 2. But we also have stories of angels doing things that quite honestly we don't have the ability to do, opening prison doors and opening gates of the city without touching them, causing chains to fall off without touching them, passing in front of guards completely undetected. There's things that are just unusual. It's not within the realm of human possibility. I mentioned changing in their appearance. In some stories in scripture, you find that they are not visible until our eyes are opened. That was the case with Balaam back in Numbers chapter 22, as well as Elisha's servant over in 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, other areas, they are described as being bright, very possibly reflecting the glory of God. Think about the angels that were at the garden tomb. They were described as incredibly bright, like white, like light found over in Matthew 28 as well as in John chapter 20. Then there's some stories where they are mistaken for normal people. That would at least imply that in that moment there was nothing that seemed to stand out about them. They seemed to be completely normal. In fact, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2, it tells us that it's possible to entertain angels and you're unaware. You might not even know you're entertaining an angel. So there's 
times that they seem to be incredibly bright, times they seem to be incredibly normal, times that you can't even see them unless God opens your eyes to them. Now, here's a side note, but it's just interesting while we're in the topic. While angels, angels appear to be able to take different forms in Scripture, it's interesting to note that they always in Scripture have male names, masculine attributes, and appear as young men. Just a little bit of side biblical trivia for you. Also, according to Scripture, angels serve three primary categories, worshiping and serving God, delivering messages from God, and ministering to those who will inherit eternal life. Now, those are three main categories. It's not that that's the only thing they do, but the main ones. The word angel, it actually means messenger. So it makes complete sense that there's multiple stories in the Bible about angels delivering a message from God to humanity. Now, while God can still do that, I mean, he's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. It seems as though he has a different way that he is communicating with people at this time. He has given us his word so that we understand truth and instruction and guidance. He has given us his Holy Spirit to be in us and to guide us into all truth. And another part of that is he has given us the body of Christ, those around us that we can go to for godly counsel and for wisdom. Now, while God has all the capability in the world that he could choose to say, I'm going to drop off a message from an angel, it doesn't seem to be his primary MO at this point. In fact, it seems like the path of Scripture is seek God, go into the Word, and then ask godly counsel. And it's in that that we find understanding. Now, let me take just a moment to talk about another piece that I mentioned, and that is angels are ministering spirits sent to those who will inherit eternal life. I've got a personal story on this, and it's only gonna take a moment, but I think it has relevance here. This is a story that happened with myself and Bria. It was sometime towards the end of 2003, maybe early part of 2004. Uh, Bria and I had what I could only describe as a very interesting encounter. I got up early in the morning, like I always do. I followed my normal routine, like I always do. Ate breakfast, drank a gallon of coffee, had a devotional time. Um, Then I went to the gym. I was still going to a physical gym at that time. But that morning was a little bit different because it was one of the few mornings, like three out of the year, that there was a major rainstorm in Las Vegas, and this was thunder, lightning, major storm. So I left for the gym, Bria was still asleep in bed, and then there was a crash of thunder that was so loud, so powerful, it shook the house. Bria jumps out of bed because she knows, Shane at the time was about a year old, she knows Shane is gonna get up crying because of this loud noise, and about the time she's going to leave the room, she hears me on the baby monitor say, it's okay, Shana, go back to sleep. She said, that's going to be great. Paul's got it taken care of. Well, a little while later, I got back from the gym. And Bria said, where's Shana? And I said, I'm guessing she's in her crib. And she was like, well, no, she's with you. I said, she is not with me. She was like, I heard you this morning on the baby monitor. You calmed her down in the thunderstorm. I said, I've not been in Shana's room all morning. And about that time, our hearts sunk. 
We were like, who is in Shana's room right now? We ran up the stairs and Shana was sound asleep in her crib, no issue whatsoever. So Bree and I had what we could at least describe as an interesting morning. Later that day, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine. I was explaining what happened at our house. Like, that's just a different morning. I was like, I, I need to process what happened with somebody else. And he asked this question. He said, Paul, did the voice calm or scare Shana? I said, it calmed her. He said, let me show you a passage. He took me to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. And this is what it said. Therefore, angels are only servants spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. He said, Paul, it's at least possible you all had an angelic encounter this morning. Now, here's what I will say. I'm not going to be dogmatic one way or the other. I'm not going to say I know with 100% certainty that it was an angel on the baby monitor. I, I don't know. But what I can tell you is it was at least a possibility based upon what Scripture says. Angels are ministering spirits. They ministered to Jesus after the temptation in Matthew 4. They warned Lot and his family before Sodom was destroyed. They guard people according to Psalm 91. They encourage the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. Acts chapter 27, they shared God's will in Revelation chapter 1. They are ministering spirits sent as God determines. Also, according to scripture, demons can possess unsaved people and may specialize in specific areas like deception, divination, harlotry, disabling, deaf and dumb, and a number of other categories. Now, there is a Hollywood horror movie head-spinning version of demonic possession, and then there's a biblical version of demonic possession. Now, the the biblical version is not nearly as theatrical, but it can also be just as scary. Those who are possessed in scripture, they exhibit many times physical illnesses, antisocial behavior, as well as unexplained abilities. Now, oddly enough, we are not told clearly. There's not like one verse, one text that says, this is how a person becomes possessed by a demon. That was surprising to me when I was studying. I kept studying and asking the question, like where in scripture does it tell us exactly how demonic possession happens? But we do have some indicators to help us understand. For example, in Judas's case, it seems that he opened himself to evil through greed based on John chapter 12, verse six. In Leviticus 17, in Deuteronomy 32, in Psalm 106, as well as in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, idol worship is closely related to the actual worship of demons. Did you hear that? Idol worship is closely related to the actual worship of demons. So it might be that there is connection between idolatry and demonic possession. I counseled a young man, uh, one of the very peculiar moments in ministry life, I counseled a young man who very clearly was dealing with demonic issues, and he very openly said, I invited Satan into my life for power and to have knowledge about other people. 
So whether or not someone is dealing with demonic possession because of personal invitation, whether or not it's because idol worship, whether or not it is because of habitual sin, whether or not it is because of dabbling sometimes in occultic practices like tarot cards, divination, witchcraft, psychics, a number of other things, whatever it might be, the path of wisdom is to avoid anything that is not of God and righteousness and to pursue him completely. Based upon scripture, Christians cannot be possessed because they already have the Holy Spirit residing inside of them. 2 Corinthians 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. However, a believer and an unbeliever can experience demonic oppression, not possession, oppression. Sometimes that takes place in the form of sickness, depression, anxiety, uncontrollable fear, anger, different things. There, there can be an oppressive way the enemy is working on a person's life. Depending upon your denominational background, uh, depending on whether or not you were a part of a church growing up, not a part of a church growing up, what type of a church growing up, it might be that you never heard anything about angels and demons in your entire church life. Or it might be that you were on the complete opposite side. You might have been in a church setting where almost every message was talking about demons and angels and spirit beings. You can go from one extreme to the other. There are some denominations that focus a lot on naming the different demons. And they would say things like this. A person who is an alcoholic is struggling with a demon of alcoholism. A person who is wrestling with pornography, they're struggling with a demon of lust, and they might call out whatever that demon is. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that every demon specifically focuses on one type of vice or one type of sin or specializes in one type of issue, but there is at least a biblical precedent to help us understand that there's a possibility here. For example, there are demonic spirits associated in scripture as a lying spirit, 1 Kings 22, a jealous spirit, Numbers chapter 5, a perverse spirit, Isaiah 19, a spirit of harlotry, Hosea chapter 4, a dumb spirit, Luke chapter 11, a deceitful spirit, 1 Timothy chapter 4. So there's any number of ways in which scripture describes these demonic influences, and sometimes there's an actual type of sin that is connected with them. So at this point, you know who angels and demons are, you know what they are, you know what they do, you know how they're different from humans, you also even know how they might impact your life right now. All of that is from scripture. Now let's switch our categories. Let's talk about it's a common misunderstanding. It is a common misunderstanding that people are to pray to and to worship angels. Both prayer and worship should be offered to God alone because God alone is worthy of prayer and worship. Matthew chapter 4 verse 10 says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Colossians chapter 2 verse 18 says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and in the worship of angels. 
It seems like 2,000 years ago, he was like, stop worshiping angels. You'll even find probably one of the most interesting texts on this, Revelation 22, 8 and 9. And I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Isn't that awesome? That even angels who are still rightly aligned with God, they're like, do not worship me. Worship God. And by the way, if you'll remember, it was the worship of a former angel that was a part of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. This is what Satan said to Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, 9 and 10. All of these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Praying to angels. And worshiping angels is strictly forbidden in Scripture. It's a common misunderstanding that people become angels when they die. Maybe you've heard somebody say something like this. I'm sure my dad has his wings by now in heaven. Or maybe you've heard somebody say, my mom is now my guardian angel in heaven. And many times people are simply saying what they've heard others say. Sometimes they don't know. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to be hurtful. But there's nothing in Scripture that would say people become angels one day when they die. At death, the Bible does say the spirit of the person is separated from their body. The spirit of the believer enters the presence of Christ in heaven, 2 Corinthians 5. The spirit of the unbeliever goes away from the presence of God to hell. Luke chapter 16. There is no mention of anyone becoming an angel. In fact, another way of saying it would be this. Angels are created beings. They are not reconditioned humans. It's a common misunderstanding that all sickness has a demonic source. Now, you can make a biblical argument that all sickness is connected back to the fall. I, I believe that 100% based on what we find in Scripture. There's, there was no sin, there was no sickness, there was no death, there was no disease, all of those things prior to the fall. But it is a misunderstanding to say that every form of sickness somehow has a demonic oppression that comes with it. Now, there are absolutely cases in Scripture, multiple stories in Scripture, of people who have been delivered, and when they were delivered, very clearly, there was a demonic entity. There was a force that was with them in that moment. You find that in the boy who suffered seizures, Matthew 17, the mute man in Matthew 9, the woman who was bent over and unable to stand up, Luke chapter 13, the blind and the mute man in Matthew chapter 12. All of those, when they were healed, 
There was a demon cast away from them, cast out of them, and when they're healed, all of a sudden, the demon's gone and they're healed, their body is right. But there's also stories that that's not the case in. For example, in Matthew 8 alone, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, the leper, and the paralyzed servant. In Matthew 9, he healed the paralytic, the blind men, the woman with the issue of blood, and he brought a dead girl back to life. And in all of those stories and many others, there was no mention of demonic possession or oppression. Those people were sick. Sick, whatever that, sick. So our final category is what should I do with this information? I've got one suggestion as best I can understand from Scripture. Remain mentally alert to the battle around you while staying completely focused on Christ. Are angels and demons real? Yes. Is there a spiritual battle that is being waged for souls and human potential and the future of humanity? Yes. Can that battle be manifested in relational conflict in your life? Yes. Are there trials that we are facing day after day that many times have a demonic influence? Yes. Are there sinful enticements that people go through that can be linked back to demonic influence and enticement? Yes. We understand Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's good to know what scripture says on this topic. It is good to see how the enemy may be using things in your life against you. It is good to avoid activities that the enemy has used and to pray in accordance with the spiritual armor that God has given you. All of that is good. But I would caution you, caution you, caution you about taking too much time to study Satan. Do not take a lot of time to study Satan. You may very well find that your curiosity is met with a level of information that you don't want to know. Keep your focus on Jesus. Focusing too much time and attention on the enemy is not only dangerous, it can be distracting. It doesn't matter if you can name every demon out there. Listen, in the end, there's only one name that really matters, and his name is Jesus. 1 John chapter 4 verse 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Hebrews 12 chapter 2 tells us, fix your eyes, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith. Be informed, be biblical, know what scripture says, remain alert, remain vigilant, keep your focus on Jesus, keep pursuing Jesus. Everything God desires to do in and through your life, he will accomplish out of the overflow of your relationship with him. That includes preparing you and walking you through battles, spiritual warfare. God is our refuge, he is our fortress, he is our present help in times of need. He is worthy of our time and he alone is the one we're called to pursue. Keep pursuing him. But keep your eyes wide open. 
pray like you're in a battle. Recognize that there are things that happen in this world you will not be able to explain in human terms. And when it happens, you say, God, you know what I don't know. You see what I don't see. You have power that I do not have, wisdom that I could never even understand. So I submit to you, would you bring victory in my life in this area? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the victory. Thank you for the insight. Thank you for the life we have with your son. We ask this evening, God, that you would protect the hearts and minds of your people. God, may we know what we need to know to walk in victory, but Lord, may we not get distracted on things that can take us away from simple, wholehearted devotion to you. We love you and we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.